Welcome to another episode of Brewery Talks Podcast, a podcast bringing you the stories behind the beer. My name is Nash, and I'm traveling across the country visiting breweries in my RV. Today's episode comes from the small southern Colorado town of Alamosa. I sat down with the founder of San Luis Valley Brewing Company to hear about how he transformed an idea to a successful brew pub and roastery in the heart of the city. We also chat a lot about what this area of the state has to offer, including local ingredients and a national park that's close by. So this is a good listen. Check it out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Nash. Today, we have a very exciting episode. We are in southern Colorado, San Luis Brewing Company. I'm here with the owner and founder, Scott. How are you doing today, Scott? Beautiful day in southern Colorado. It is. It is an awesome day. I was actually just sandboarding down some sand dunes uh, like half hour from here, which is really exciting. I'm mowing the lawn and he's sandboarding. I think he's got the better day today. <laughs> so where are we? We're in southern Colorado. Alamosa is the town. Alamosa, Colorado. It couldn't be, uh, couldn't be more southern Colorado. We're about uh, 20 minutes from the New Mexico, northern New Mexico line, and we're pretty much smack in the middle of the state, east to west. So uh, we're happily sandwiched between Durango on the west and, I guess, Walsenburg and Pueblo on the east. And uh, we're in a beautiful Alpine Valley, the largest in the world, to be honest. Uh, you know, 90 miles long by 40 miles wide. And so we're, uh, we're in a beautiful place. Yeah, it is. It is awesome. To, to me, at first, I kind of thought it was the middle of nowhere with all the I guess, prairies coming in. Are those prairies out there? Well, yeah. Once you uh, get east of Walsenburg and I twenty five, yep, you're, uh, you're you're Kansas and eastern Colorado look similar, and then uh, you hit the mountains all of a sudden, and and here you are. Yeah, and it's a awesome small little city. It's a lot of fun. I've been here for I think just twenty four hours now, and already I've seen different areas, and it's been. A lot of fun. Uh, you stay too many nights, we'll get you hooked, and you'll be calling it home. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the brewery. So it's a brew pub, and you guys have been around for 12 years. That is a long time. That's wild. You're calling me old. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, uh, yeah, we've been blessed to uh, to grow for, for 12 years, modest growth, but uh, we're, when we were founded in 2006, my, uh, my in-laws quit uh, – Quit teaching and retired and helped us build it, and then my wife and I and our four kids have uh, been able to, you know, to keep it rocking and uh, grow a little bit and employ about forty folks and and make a make a living and have a have a good time. And how did it all start? Was it one day you wake up and you're like, ah, I really love beer, I want to make it professionally, or was it just, hey, I want to own a restaurant? How did the idea kind of come to be? Well, um, yeah, certainly didn't go to school for business, so I went for theology, tried to get the God questions right. So uh, beer came about of it because we were dirt poor. We couldn't afford it. So like many folks that uh, sort of start tinkering at home, um, that got us into it, a homebrew kit from my in-laws for Christmas about 14 years ago, and um, and then some people locally in the community, uh, the lucky recipients of our homebrew, said, hey, man, I'd pay for a pint of that in the pub, and um, <laughs> and here we are. And then did you imagine it being a brew pub from the start? Was was it a brew pub from the start? How did it begin? It has. It, it was a brew pub from the start. We did envision that from the start. We are, again, in a, a beautiful place, but it is small. And we figured, um, you know, there's probably enough bars in town just doing straight booze. Uh, we feel like it's always nice to, to catch a burger or some wings uh, or maybe a steak if you're in the mood. So we did, uh, did want to offer food with our brew. And the... Uh I saw on your guys' menu yesterday. I, I stopped in. I had a couple of green chili beers. And uh, I see you guys have pairings on your menu for the food. So you say, this food goes good with this beer. 
what comes first, the food or the beer? Do, do you make the beer and say, okay, this would go really good with this, or do you ha- make good food and say, oh, we should make a nice lager with this? Well, I think the beer got us into this mess. So I'd say the beer, the beer comes first, and um, you know, we try to then um, think about the flavor characteristics of uh, what would uh, what would pair nicely for a meal with that. So uh, we do offer those pairings in our menu. They're certainly not the gospel. If you'd rather have uh, you know one or the other instead of what's paired in our menu. Um, you go for it, but uh, we think we've got a pretty good paired menu. And then how does that relationship work? Being the the owner of the brewery, do you spend more time th- talking about the food and kind of figure out the food menu, or do you find yourself uh, you know, back there brewing beer, making recipes, or just running the business side of things? Um, over the 12 years, things have changed. Um, when we started, my wife actually was the brewmaster. We had no kids at that point, and so uh, she had a, a bacteriology and, and science background, knew all about those little buggards, those bacterias and those um, viruses and not that stuff, but the good stuff is the yeast. And uh, so she had the knowledge. She brewed, and then she got itchy for children and uh, had some talent with accounting, and I brewed for four or five years, and at this point now we've been blessed to kind of be oversight and have some wonderful people doing the brewing and the cooking and most of the front of the house management. And uh, my wife and I try to uh, vision for the future, make sure that we're growing and going in the right direction and keeping people employed and keeping people doing their job. And um, that's where we're at at year almost 13. That's exciting. That's really awesome. And were you in this building the entire time right on Main Street, Alamosa? Yes, uh, we we had done enough traveling as Nash is uh, looking at <laughs> spaces and it just felt like at that point in time in 2006 in some of the bigger cities in Denver and uh, you know Durango and out in California brew pubs just had this the building was important they they were always a beautiful space a lot of times a historic space that was you know refurbished to to meet the needs of a brew pub or a brewery and um, so Alamosa's only got about four or five downtown big buildings (laughs) and at the time this was the only one that was uh, on the market and it was also um, the only one we were interested in so we've been very blessed to have the timing of that work out and uh you know i joke i say uh, we don't own the building the bank does but we're we're chipping away <laughs> at that year by year that's awesome and you guys pride yourself on the atmosphere that you guys have in there which is it's a awesome atmosphere but not only that the decorations and the bank vault door behind the tap the tap panels how what, what's that <laughs> Well, this uh, this building was 1897. It was constructed, and it spent probably 90% of those years between uh, then and now as a bank, American National, and uh, before that, um, other and older banks. But uh, we wanted to keep with the heritage of the space while also obviously making it functional and refurbished uh, for modern service. So some of those unique touches like the bank vault door that hangs behind our back bar, um, we snagged that right off the bank vault, which now serves as a cooler because I couldn't move it. It was all <laughs> concrete and cement. And so, um, yeah, we've tried to keep some historic touches and yet make it a, a, a very accommodating modern space. And right now we're actually sitting in the coffee shop. So when did this, how does this play with the brewery? It's like, I said, we're, are we attached right now? Is it the same building? You are attached um, via a sidewalk. It is the same building, although not connected internally. So the coffee uh, came out of uh, me sitting on my back porch with a half pound roaster, um, I guess, because when we're not drinking beer in the evening, we're um, <laughs> drinking coffee in the morning and throughout the day. So my wife and I, always have, we've always enjoyed craft beverages. So 
um, about four years ago, and I was roasting coffee for brewery use, and we decided that we would uh, make that um, an expansion project. So the Roast Cafe is right adjacent to the San Luis Valley Brewing Company. It's all operated under one company, but um, the roasting space, we offer breakfast, lunch, and then a private place for parties in the evening. Um, so again, yeah, we're doing coffee in the morning, food all day, and then uh, we, we turn out the beer at night. So you, so you can just, someone can spend a, a full day just in your guys' facilities here, walk the sidewalk, get some beers in the afternoon. We love those folks that'll have breakfast here, walk around town, and come back and see us for dinner. That's awesome. So speaking of those folks, let's talk about the community. It's the smallest city. I think there's only a couple thousand people in the city. The city proper, and I'm you know not going to get down to a person or two, but roughly 10,000 in the city limits and about 15, I believe, in the Alamosa County. And what do you see as the community behind the beer? Do you find a lot of you know younger crowd looking for those really hoppy IPAs? Or do you find people coming and looking for just easy-to-drink lagers? What's the, the beer community around here? Uh, both. Uh, when we started the place, um, our most popular, we started with six beers, and the most popular were the lights, the uh, the Jefe Suave, an American wheat, um, Valle Especial, a basically a, a craft Corona style or Pacifico style beer, a Mexican lager. And we sold uh, a, an awful lot of those, and I couldn't get anybody to touch an IPA in our community. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Coors farming town, um, a lot of agriculture, a lot of barley grown here. Um, for bigger breweries and folks are used to light beer. So um, I can tell you that in 13 years, um, Jefe Suave and and, uh, and the lighter beers have moved to third, fourth, fifth place and IPAs <laughs> and, and ambers and hoppier, more flavorful brews have stepped forward. So this actually brings me back to a question that uh, I want to ask earlier. So back in 2006, when you did get started, that was still essentially semi-new with the whole craft beer revolution going on right now. Well, right now, I feel like every week a new brewery open up on some corner somewhere across America. Back in 2006, when you went to the city and said, hey, I want to make a brewery, were people like, what the heck are you doing? Like, what is this? Or Yes, um, there was enthusiasm for sure, but there was a lot of questions. As you said, things have really, I think, exploded probably in the last 10 years. And, you know, we were certainly not pioneers in the industry, you know, like you might say Sierra Nevada or New Belgium and uh, some of those guys are, but we did get in, I would say on the front end of things. And um, the city was very excited and receptive. And I think a lot of people were skeptical in our, our little town and said, you know, whatever, you know, everybody drinks <laughs> Coors Light. What, what are you doing? But um, again, they supported us. They came out and uh, we're, we're still ticking, ticking right along and growing a bit each year. So let's dive into the beers, the uh, the main attraction <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> so we're at over 8,000 feet here. What is brewing beer like? Or we're at 7,500, something like that. 7,500 is pretty close. So what is brewing beer like at that altitude? Does that change anything with the beer, how it tastes, how you make it? Well, it certainly changes the boil. Um, you know, we, we boil up here at about 198, where... Uh, you know, uh, the rest of the flatlanders, I think, are uh, <laughs> way above 200. So, um, yeah, that's a that's a change. Um, you know, water supply is uh, city water, but it's coming from mountain runoff. So, you know, things are clean and, and crisp and good. Um, and, uh, yeah, in terms of flavor profiles and such, uh, high-altitude barley, um, you know, it's uh, we source most of our two-row and most of our base malts uh, 12 miles down the road at the Colorado Malting Company, family-owned 
uh, malting facility that just started a farm brewery on their farm. So, um, yeah, the ingredients and the water, um, I think, make for pretty good stuff. Yeah, so that's actually another question I have for you was the ingredients. So you're getting the hops and barley here in Colorado. The hops sometimes. We do have a growing uh, amount of hops available, mostly on the western slope out in the, you know, the Fruta, uh, you know, Paonia um out on the western slope and so as those small farms get more capacity we're able to source that stuff even in the san luis valley uh, cactus hill does some cascade hops and we were able to do a wet hop uh, brew with them once in a while so um, yeah we're sourcing what we can locally in terms of malt yep we're able to get all of our two row uh, white wheat uh, right here in the san luis valley it's a great uh, great barley producer that's exciting and Coming from New England, drinking a lot of New England IPAs, what do you think Colorado breweries are bringing to the scene nowadays? Do you see a lot of people drinking those hazy beers that they have a lot of out east or different styles? Things spread fast, and yes, I think, uh, you know, the West Coast IPA... I, I, I would argue gave birth to the East Coast IPA, but the East Coasters would probably say it's the opposite. So <laughs> we'll argue about that. But yes, hazy IPAs, New England style IPAs, you, you know, you see them all over the liquor store shelves out here. Um, we have been swayed to, uh, you know, to do some of those, to do some fruit in IPAs. Obviously, the IPA revolution is, I think, coast to coast and uh we're stoked about it, and we're trying to uh, to be creative with it and stay on stay on the cutting edge. Nice. And you mentioned before some of the beers you guys are brewing. Are you guys brewing all varieties of beer here, or are you guys brewing one style? Or what's the flagship beer you guys have? Well, there's a couple questions there, but I would say that we are brewing uh, more traditional brews. Um, you know, we're 12 years old. We're not over the hill yet, but we do uh, <laughs> we do like to stick to our flagships, Alamosa Amber, just just a well balanced um, red ale. Um, is probably top of the list and Grand River IPA has grown in popularity named after the Rio Grande that flows right through our town and all the way down you know through New Mexico Texas into the Gulf so um, those beers uh, haven't changed much in recipe over 12 years slightly more hops now thanks to the (laughs) the hop revolution but um, we are a, a fairly traditional brewery that's not scared to experiment that's awesome Green chili beer. So yesterday I had a couple of pints of your green chili beer. If someone's not from around here, how do you explain what green chili is and why it's so good that you have to put it in a beer? Yeah, it's like taking um, it's like taking a light uh, a light Mexican style lager and uh, punching it with flavor and aroma. So uh, green chili is um, a slightly spicy, both in aroma and flavor element. Uh, our area in northern New Mexico and even into Pueblo is famous for hatch chili. So that chili, um, we literally um, bag it, put it in a tank, and then move a finished beer on top of it and let it uh, let it sit until it penetrates it with those wonderful uh, those chili oils and aromas and flavors. So you get a a slightly spicy but not overpowering um, green chili flavor in a light beer. And green chili itself, people are putting on everything now not just in beer people use it on burgers french fries it's all over the place right our green chili burger has been our best seller for 10 years so yes at <laughs> least in this neck of the woods in the southwest uh, arizona you know uh colorado southern colorado new mexico um green chili is is a viable use for just about anything you want to eat or drink <laughs> yeah my uh my first experience or my first yeah my first experience with green chili i was in new mexico and they're like yeah we have a green chili burger i'm like what's a green chili burger and then 
uh, after that first burger, fell in love. And then when I came just through here just a couple days ago, I found out you guys have green chili in this area as well. And I was like, I need it. Indeed. it's um, That's been a staple. Uh, it was a little daunting to uh, think about pitching chili into a beer 12 years ago. Now um, there's numerous wonderfully done chili beers out there, at least in Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. And it's much better out here. I had one actually back east. was not the same. It was... Wasn't that good? Fresh, <laughs> fresh products do matter. <laughs> uh, and you guys have a lot of partnership brews. Are those collaborations? What What is a partnership brew? Well, we uh, we try to be pretty selective about our partners, and um, you know we're not huge. We're we're a pretty small operation, so we've been really um, blessed and excited to form relationships over the years with folks like Wolf Creek Ski Area, uh, with the Royal Gorge uh, Railroad, who takes a, a wonderful train ride down into the gorge. Uh, we brew a beer and uh, and do a coffee for their train. Uh, Wolf Creek has supported us with the Wolf Creek Winter. We're taking freshly harvested spruce tips right off pine trees. Um, chucking them into a nicely balanced amber lager and uh, or amber ale, I excuse me, and it goes up to Wolf Creek, and um, and those folks are are enjoying that. So, um, number of festivals, early iron car show, uh, we try to partner with folks that are about class and quality, and um, and it's been uh, it's been a good ride. It's exciting. That's really that's really cool seeing people collaborate together and kind of working together to make the beer. You mentioned the train a couple times, and I noticed you guys have trains on a lot of your beer labels and in the tap room. What is the significance of the trains to this area? Well, it's huge in our history. Uh, you know, as you come into Alamosa from the east and cross the Rio Grande River, you'll see the old 169, um, you know, engine sitting there, um, uh, you know, right there in, in Coal Park. So um, trains have a deep history here. We still have the Rio Grande Scenic Railroad running, you know, right next to our brewery. Um, we brew uh, Scenic Rail Pale Ale for those guys. Down south of us, just as you get into almost into New Mexico, is the Cumbres and Toltec Scenic Railroad who runs a narrow gauge, one of the only scenic narrow gauges in, in the nation, um, you know, from Chama and Antonito, Colorado. And we, we brew a, a nicely flavored IPA for those guys. Um, and then up at the Royal Gorge, um, an awesome, awesome train ride uh, right next to the river. If you prefer rafting, you can raft right next to the train. Um, oh, so wow. we've just kind of gotten... Um, we appreciate what the trains bring to tourism in Colorado. I think they they've appreciated what we bring to small craft brewing, and we've been able to make beers that partner with those trains so that they can have their own distinct flavor on board. It's awesome. So let's talk about your role in the in the life of the brewery. So what do you think over the past twelve years was one really stressful moment that really stuck out to you, and how did you overcome it? Uh, moving in new fermenters was uh, horrendous. Uh, we had to take out all the glass on the side of the building, uh, tip 20-foot fermenters sideways and roll them in, and then use a pulley and lever system to stand them up. Um, that was uh, knock one over, and there's 20 granite with a big dent in it. So that was Ooh. stressful, but um, it went smoothly and, and got her done. Yeah, that's that's interesting because every brewery always posts the photos of them getting their equipment in, and I guess – if you don't know how expensive it is or how tight the the spaces are you have to fit them you don't really appreciate the fact that <laughs> it's easy to buy equipment and then sometimes after the fact you go well how am i actually going to get this installed oops <laughs> <laughs> um, and then going with that what do you think was or what is one of the most rewarding things about being in your role and having this you know this roastery and the brewery and uh, what m- motivates you 
Uh, people for sure. And it starts, you know, I think with employees for anybody that wants to, to be in business, um, relationships and people. Um, so we talked about moving equipment and that's small potatoes compared to the daily nurturing of relationships with your employees in the community. Um, that's what makes the business go. And then if there is someone out there who is homebrewing, they have, uh, an interest in opening up a brew pub, they just need to take that leap. What kind of advice do you have to someone who, hasn't taken that leap yet or is just about to take the leap well kiss rving and vacations goodbye for starters (laughs) um i'm out (laughs) no but no uh one big piece is um make sure the financing is in in line um if if you do your homework and you come up with the budget on what you think it's going to cost to do your project um probably times that by two or three and you might be close uh at least that was a good good example in our case uh maybe some people are better at budgeting and and thinking ahead than i am but uh have your finances in place because it stinks to have a good idea and then get into year one two or three and find out that you're underfunded or um you know people haven't discovered you yet so you got to give yourself enough funding and enough time um to be discovered and actually uh get yourself going okay so let's wrap it up here in the end here to kind of highlight the area a little more. So I ended up here uh, for Great Sand Dunes National Park, which is right down the road, which, as I said earlier, I was sandboarding this morning, and tomorrow I'm going to be hiking the highest dune in North America. Uh, and then just coming out here, I realized that there is Alamosa right near the National Park, which you have this main strip. You guys are right on it. Um, what are some of the other things that you guys have going on here for tourists or people visiting? Well, I like to say we are in the middle of nowhere and we're worth the trip. Um, For sure, the Great Sand Dunes is a huge draw. Um, It's a beautiful place. Uh, 14ers, huge mountains behind it. Uh, The dunes, um, wonderful to hike. And then uh, in the summer, there's a creek flowing through. But in addition to that, we have uh, two scenic railroads within 30 minutes. Um, Wonderful rides, train rides up into the mountains, uh, inaccessible, oftentimes by roads. You can only see what you can see from the train. Um, we've got gold medal rivers and uh, streams for trout fishing. Uh, the hiking and uh, doesn't get any better right down the road is Wolf Creek Ski Area. If you're into boarding or skiing, um, pretty easy jaunt from Alamosa to those places. Um, so there's an awful lot, and we offer uh, 350 days of sunshine a year. Um, so oh really? Yeah, it, uh, you know it does snow once in a while. It doesn't rain, but very infrequently. We're a high desert, so um, the weather, even when it's cold, is almost always sunny. So they have plenty of stuff to do during the day, and then at the end of the day, end it with a nice good beer right here on Main Street. And yep, and kudos to uh, you know I, I think we were. We, we've been here forever. We're, we were the first, but we've got uh, we've got friends right next door at Square Peg Brew Works. And then if you uh, take a jaunt down the highway to Del Norte, there's Three Barrel Brewing Company. And just south of us, um, the Cody Farm, the Colorado Malting Company, and Colorado Farm Brewery just opened. So um, don't feel pinned down to the San Luis Valley Brewing Company. We would certainly love to, to feed you and get you a beer, but then we can send you on your way for uh, more good sampling. And you guys have green chili here. And we do have lots of green chili, both <laughs> on burgers and in beer. <laughs> All right. We're at just over 20 minutes here. What do you say we start to wrap it up? Um, if someone wanted to get in contact with you or reach out to you guys, know, learn more about you, how can they uh, get in touch with you? Well, 40, uh, 40 employees and four kids email is my best bet. So uh, <laughs> Scott at slvbrewco.com, and I would be happy to get back with you, get you some answers, and uh, tell you more if, you, if you're interested in the brew. Awesome. And as always, if you guys want to get in contact with myself, just Google Brewery Talks Podcast or look us up on com. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time today. This is great. I learned a lot about the area. I'm getting pumped on the air just by sitting here talking to you. So thank you very much. 
Very good. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, give a good rating and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Cheers.